So welcome to episode number 130 of More Than Bread. I, I was doing some counting, and this is my 20th psalm. So I've already picked 20 of my top 40, had a couple extras added in, but Psalm 75 is halfway, 75 out of 150. So, so I took my first top 20 out of less than half of the psalms, because in this episode, we're pass, pausing at, at Psalm 63. Now, of course, that means if I'm not careful... I might finish my top 40 before I get to the end of the Psalms, which could mean it's a bit more than my top 40. And, and I'll be honest to say there are a few really good Psalms. Okay, all of them are good Psalms, but there's a few really good Psalms that I've skipped to get here, like Psalm 57, which gave the words to a favorite song, be exalted, O God above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. So who knows? I might find myself going back and tacking a few on. And there's still time for you to add to my favorites by suggesting one of your own. Just shoot me an email, dan at C-A-L-V-A-R-Y-S-C dot org, dan at calvarysc dot org. Or you can even text me at 814-235-9615. Let me know what your favorite is. And and also, if, if you're enjoying this podcast, can I encourage you to... Uh, uh, share it with somebody. Let somebody know that it's uh, available. Um, the more people who gain from it, not just the more people who listen to it, if, if it doesn't help you in, in some way, it's not worthwhile. But but the more people listen to it and gain from it, the the more my time is multiplied. And, and it takes a, a little bit of time for me to, to put these together. So I'd love for you to share it with others and, and uh, uh, let me know how it's helping you. So anyway, Psalm 63 is our psalm for today. Listen as I read from the New International Version. And as you listen, even as you listen, it's my prayer that the Spirit of God will begin to create some thirst and hunger for God, to be with God. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. In his book, Trying to Be Good, Tom Schmidt relates the story of Mabel. The state-run convalescent hospital in his area was a difficult place to visit. It was understaffed and, and, and really filled with seemingly hopeless people, people cut off from vital life, lonely, uh, many of them just waiting to die. Even on the brightest of days, the light would seem to wait at the door and the smells of sickness and stale urine permeated the halls. For four years as a volunteer, he visited once or twice a week, and, and to be honest, he always left with a sense of relief. One particular day, he was walking in an unfamiliar hallway, looking with very little success for someone alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. I don't know, maybe you've been in a place like that. Sometimes it seems that the hallways contain some of the worst cases, strapped into wheelchairs, completely helpless. 
As he neared the end of this hallway, he saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair, and her face was quite repulsive. The white pupils of her eyes and empty stare told him that she was blind. A, a large hearing aid over one ear told him she was at least partially deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it kind of pushed her nose to the side and dropped an eye and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was now the bottom. And as a result, she drooled constantly. He later discovered that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman. And if they could stand this sight, they could handle anything in the building. She was 89 years old, bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and had been all alone for 25 years. Her name was Mabel. As Tom Schmidt remembers his first encounter with Mabel, he writes, I don't know why I spoke to her. She seemed unlikely to respond. But I put a flower in her hand and I said, Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And, and to my surprise, her words, though garbled because of her deformity, were, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, Thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. Tom said, of course, and he began to push her chair down the hallway to a place where he thought they might find some alert patients, and they found one. Mabel held out the flower and said, this is from Jesus. I don't know, seeing that incredible act of grace, it just began to dawn on Tom that Mabel was perhaps an uncommon person. He wheeled her back to her home, began to learn more about Mabel. She had grown up on a small farm that she'd managed with only her mother until she died, and, and then she ran the farm alone until her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she just got weaker and sicker, constant headaches, backaches, stomach aches, and, and then the cancer came. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed occasionally but never talked. They, they often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, the smell was often overpowering. So let me ask you a question as you listen, as you ponder Mabel. What is the good life? What's the good life? We talk quite a bit about the good life here in Happy Valley. <laughs> we even have a magazine with the same title, but what is the good life? I mean, would you characterize any element of Mabel's life whatsoever as being a definitive part of the good life? Mabel and Tom became friends, and he visited her once or twice a week for the next three years. Some days he'd read to her from the Bible, and often when he'd stop, she'd continue reciting the passage from memory word for word. Sometimes he'd take a book of hymns and sing with her. She, she knew all the words of the old songs. But for Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She'd often stop mid-hymn mid-song and, and make a comment about lyrics that she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. Reflecting back, Tom wrote, you know, it wasn't many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I began to go to her with pen and paper to write down the things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, he was frustrated because his mind seemed to be pulled in 10 different directions all at once. And in the midst of that frustration, the question occurred to him, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day? And so he went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie there? And she said, I mostly think about my Jesus. 
He just sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for him of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And he asked, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but but I don't care. I would rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. I think there was a time in David's life where that was how he felt. He's all the world to me. This writer of Psalms, this warrior poet king with a huge appetite for life, this passionate worshiper of God, there was a time in his life where he really had lost everything everything that we would say was necessary for the good life. He was living in caves on the run from a king who wanted to kill him. He had lost his family, lost his home, lost his reputation, lost his freedom. And it was during those days that he would sit and create this song of worship found in Psalm 63. It's called the Psalm of David written while he was in the desert, the wilderness of Judea. Oh my God. You are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've I've seen you in your sanctuary. I've gazed upon your power and your glory, and your unfailing love is better than life itself. Now, let those words soak in your mind. Let, let them come back over and over again. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feasts. I'll praise you with songs of joy. It's kind of like when David had nothing, he knew that God was his everything. God was his life. I mean, ask yourself the question, just between you and God, there's nobody else listening. There's no need for a religious, I think I should answer Jesus kind of response. But in the quiet of your own heart, just ask yourself, where do I go to get life? Where am I going right now to get life? You know, when a a college student goes out and drinks enough to lower the boundaries of of her heart and wakes up in the morning in a nameless bed, doesn't it all begin with a whisper, "I'm, I'm looking for life? When a person jumps into a career and drops everything else of value along the side of the path, isn't it dropped in in hopes that the career journey will bring life? We we look to our friends for life. We we look to the respect of others, what they think of us for life. We look to family for life. We look to our status, our success, and our stuff for life. Where are you going right now to find life? David was looking for life from God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love, your unfailing love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I lift up my hands. See, see, God created us to thirst. Thirst is built into the weave of our hearts. Now, now we know that sin ravages our hearts. We talked about that even in the last few episodes in in Psalm 51. Sin ravages our hearts rather than satisfying our souls. But but you know what? What about the gifts of God? (laughs) Sometimes I think the greatest adversary of love to God is is not his enemies, but his gifts. And, And the most deadly appetites that we have are are not so much for evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth, the gifts of God. 
When, when those replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is, you, you almost can't recognize it. So, so even ask yourself, for what do I pray most often? What gift of God do I most often ask him to give me? And what if that gift or my desire for that gift is actually the enemy of my thirst for God? See, if he is my God, I will earnestly seek him. I will earnestly seek him because my soul thirsts for him. Thirsts for him more than his gifts. One of my favorite pictures of my kids is a moment when my son Jake was about four or five years old. We were at teacher-parent conferences, and he was outside playing in the playground. He's getting so stinking dirty. We came out. He was sitting there in the sandbox, and he looked up at Lynn. He said, Mom, if I didn't have dirt, I think I'd die. (laughs) David isn't talking about slightly thirsty. He's saying, if I don't get God, I think I'm going to die. David was God, captivated. His soul longed for God. Like A.W. Tozier, in the 1940s, Tozier was traveling by train from Chicago to Texas, and he he started writing. He wrote through the night, and by the time he arrived, he had the rough draft of the description of a God-captivated heart. And I'm telling you, every time I read it, God grabs my heart again with words like, in this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears. Within the fold of conservative Christianity, there are to be found increasing numbers of persons whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. They are eager for spiritual realities and will not be put off with words. They are a thirst for God. Are you a thirst for God? David cries out because God is the great desire of his heart. David hungers and thirsts for God. He he prays in verses 5 through 8, Oh God, my, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. See, David is saying, nothing satisfies my soul like the steadfast love of God. Nothing satisfies my soul like the steadfast love of God. So I cling to him. As David writes this psalm, he's he's hungry for God. He's spiritually parched. (laughs) Life is going to hell around him, but he has faith in God. So he's clinging to God. You know, when I see clinging, I think of dependence, utter dependence. As they grew up, each of my kids went through a phase where they had a love-fear relationship with pools. They loved to be in the water, but they were deathly afraid of going under it. So they would cling. I remember when my granddaughter, Rory, was was young, she, she'd do the same thing. It's like, you want the world's best hug? Get her in the pool. Her little arms would go around your neck and squeeze so tight you could hardly breathe. She's clinging like like David clung to God. But But think about this. Could she cling if there was anything between us. No, you you can't cling well if there's something between you and the one to whom you cling. See, here's the deal. When our souls thirst for God, when we faint with longing to be in his presence, when we get so desperate that all we can do is cling, our thirsting is not just the beginning of true prayer. It is perhaps our deepest prayer because desperation drives destination desperation drives destination. When we name our thirst, we name our destination. 
We, we need to embrace our hunger and acknowledge that all we can do is cling until God pours out fresh water, until he prepares a feast of his presence, of his words. We, we need to own our desperation or we won't make it to his destination. When we are no longer willing to settle for less than God, then we will hear God's invitation. Come to the water. Come to the water. I don't know, probably about... A dozen years ago, Lynn and I spent 24 hours with Calvary leaders praying and seeking God's leading for our facilities at, at Harvest Fields. And, you know, without those 24 hours, I'm not all that sure we'd be where we are now. That Friday night, we were out at Woodward, and, and uh, that's where we were praying together. And Lynn got a text from Jake. He said, hey, Mom, I think I broke my nose playing rugby. He was playing rugby for the high school team. And she came to me more than just a little bit concerned. Dan, Jake thinks he broke his nose playing rugby. So, of course, I said, yeah, but who won? (laughs) She said, I didn't ask. So I texted him, and he texted, we won. I played the whole game. And I just kind of wanted to go home and give him a man hug. But at about 1130 at night, Lynn gets a phone call from Sarah. Jake isn't feeling well. He's nauseous. His head hurts. He's groggy. So being a nurse, Lynn knew that he was about to die, and she wanted to go see him one more time. So we went home to take him to the ER. He had a broken nose, and they did a CAT scan of his head. It showed nothing there. I mean, nothing wrong up there. Mild concussion, broken nose, and and we could have been in and out in no time flat. But at about 1.30 in the morning, the ambulances started coming in. There was 10 in less than an hour. And each one was filled with students who had drank too much. The halls were full of students on stretchers, unconscious, having their stomachs pumped. And it hit me, they're just hungry. All the parties and drinking and whatever else they would do, the hooking up, it's just this voice crying out from behind the wall saying, I have a hunger that goes so deep, I'm not sure it will ever be satisfied. They don't realize it, but what they're actually saying is, I need Jesus so bad. And Jesus says, come and drink, come and eat. God sent Jesus to satisfy the thirst of our souls and the hunger of our hearts. What our souls seek, what our hearts crave, what our minds were made to ponder is Jesus. There's nothing greater than Christ. Christ is the treasure of Christianity. Listen, I don't know why you come to church, why you listen to this podcast, but but ultimately, even though it's in the Psalms, if it's not because of Christ, you're missing everything. Listen, there is a hunger and a thirst deep inside of you that nothing, nothing, nothing will ever touch, nothing will satisfy except Christ. So are you willing to stop feeding at banquet tables where the main course is not Christ? If it's necessary, will you let go of the good to go hard after God? Have you noticed the hunger pains that come from spending too long away from God? Do you have, and if not, do you want a glorious, gut-wrenching hunger for Christ? If you do, then, then let me encourage you to pray this prayer in Psalm 63. Just pray the words. Even if you don't feel like it's true of you, pray this prayer. And, and as you do, ask God to make it true of you. I'm going to just pray the prayer. That's our prayer for today. So as I read the psalm, I'm praying the prayer for you and for me. There's a lot of eyes in it, but but I'm going to change it to we. <laughs> oh God, you are our God. And we earnestly search for you. Our soul thirsts for you. Our Our bodies long for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. 
We've seen you in your sanctuary. We've gazed upon your power and your glory. And we are saying right now, God, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How we praise you. We praise you as long as we live, lifting up our hands to you in prayer. Because you satisfy us more than the richest feasts. We will praise you with songs of joy. We we lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are our helper. We sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. And we cling to you. Thank you, Father, that you have enough room for each and every one of us to cling to you without getting in the way of somebody else. We cling to you. Your strong right hand holds us securely. But those plotting to destroy us will come to ruin. They'll go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword, become the food of the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear to tell the truth will praise him, while liars will be silenced. O God, our God, we earnestly seek you. Would you invite us to come to the water and drink deeply of Jesus? And it's in his name we pray. Amen.